It is good to be in the house of the Lord today, and it was good to just sing Amazing Grace. That was wonderful. Oh, we are going to be in Daniel chapter 6, and I will explain my follies and my mistakes as I go along, so bear with me. Um, while you're kind of looking, looking that up, let me tell you a couple stories. Now, for those of you who don't know, I recently went through a job change. I guess it hasn't been too recent. It was earlier this year. And um, I get the call for the interview to go to First Federal Bank, and I got to go down to the, uh, the service center or the admin center off of Front Street, Front Street and 435. So, of course, you get up early that morning, you shave real good, you know, you make a second pass just to make sure, and then you... Put the gunk in your hair and slick it off to the side, because if not, the, 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 the grays stick up, and if the light hits me just right, i got a halo, and that's distracting to people, so you don't want that. And uh, I leave plenty of time to get down there, because you never know what's going to happen on 435, right? So I'm using my wisdom. I've slicked my hair over, I've ironed my shirt a couple times, because, you know, invariably, you get in a hurry, and you make an iron, and you fold that piece of cloth over, and now you get this line going, and it's never straight, it's like, you know, squirreling around, so I, I got my shirt ironed, I'm, I'm in the car, and I'm gassed up just to make sure, because I want to get, like, halfway there, and then the car run out of gas, so I'm ready, and I'm going down the road, and I'm an experienced person, right? I've been in banking for 14 years now, I started off in banking 14 some odd years ago, something like that. I don't know, First Bank of Missouri, now it's Security Bank, and then I went to Gold Bank, which you can't go to Gold Bank anymore because we got bought out by M&I Bank, and you can't go to them anymore because now they got bought out by BMO Harris. And anyway, I've been in banking for a while. I went through some changes. I've, I've uh, been a teller. I worked in a credit card call center. I've got some experience. I'm, I've got some wisdom. I'm ready to go. And I make that turn, that left-hand turn, right? Because you get on, you're taking 24, you make the left-hand turn to go on 435 North. And I look in the rearview mirror, you know, to make sure no one's coming right up on me there because there's that semi just flying down in the right-hand lane. So I look, there's nobody coming. As I look, and I know this is a hair gross, hang with me, I got a booger sticking out my nose. I am halfway to my job interview. And I got this thing hanging off my nose. There are some times in our wisdom just cannot protect you from everything. I know what I'm doing. I'm an experienced banker. I'm going to this job interview. I've ironed. I've shined my shoes. I'm ready to go, and I can't show nobody my nose. Not only that, it tried to kill me, because of course, you're going down 435. I'm on my way to my job interview. I've got to be ready to go. So you try to, you know, I, I grab a, a napkin Reaching for a napkin while I'm driving down 435, which is probably why there's accidents out there as the boogers are out to get us. So I'm reaching for that, and I get one, try to take care of it, and I, of course you take a look, and then you know you, if you can't look in the rearview mirror too quick, too, too steadily while you're going down the road, you've got to be watching the road, which is why there's wrecks in NASCAR. That's my thought behind that. You know, the big nasty wreck, it's never just one guy that hits something. It's like 30 car pile up. Some dude had a booger. So... Yeah, that's not, in a, that's not in a sermon text manual at, uh, at, at Midwestern Seminary, but I think it should be. Anyway, so I, I finally get there, and I get things taken care of, um, but it's those little things that come up in life. But I'm, I'm wise, right? I know what I'm doing. I'm ready to go. 
and yet there's this hiccup, there's this folly in my wisdom because I know what I'm doing. There's this, this hiccup in things. As we look at Daniel today, um, Daniel is wise, so we're not picking on Daniel, but there are some people in, his, in the story that we're going to look at today, Daniel and the lion's den, that know what they're doing. They are wise in their plan. They, they know what's going on. They have the best laid plans. There's legal counsel. There's powerful people involved. They're ready to go. And, well, there's a booger in their nose. Things fall apart. So let's, uh, since I've entertained you a little bit, let's, let's try to move on. Get a little more serious here. In Daniel chapter 6, start, start in verse 1 here. And we'll kind of get the setting it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they weren't able to do so. They could, no, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless he has something to do with the law of his God. So as we set the stage here, we got Darius, the king of the Medes, Persians, and Babylon. He's the warrior king uh, that took Babylon from Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. And for those of you who, Daniel chapter 5, what was so big about that chapter? That's where the writing's on the wall. And Belshazzar is having this big feast. And, and Darius is the guy outside the city marching down with the army. And he's like, ah, I ain't no worry about him. And Daniel comes in and says, interprets the writing on the wall and says, oh, your time has come, Bubba, you're up. So this, Darius is this warrior king. And now he's really got kind of three people groups, three areas to kind of rule over, the Medes, the Persians, and now the Babylonians, as well as some, some Jewish people running around. So he sets up three administrators and 120 satraps because he knows he cannot administer that much territory by himself. All right, So he's got these 120 guys out running around collecting taxes and, and ruling over cities and doing their thing. And then they report to three administrators, one of whom is Daniel. And they're all kind of irritated at Daniel because they're all on the take. Everybody's greasing some palms and greasing the tracks and however you want to say it, everybody's got their, their fingers in the pot or something. He, everybody's taking, taking some money, except Daniel. Daniel's holding everybody accountable. He's the guy coming in and making sure all the books match up and, and just kind of raining on their parade. But Darius has got this up. He's done a wise job. He, he knows he can't take care of things all by himself, so he's got some people to do it for him. When we look at these administrators, these satraps and two administrators, because one of them is Daniel, um, some of these guys... Are, are like Daniel. When Darius took over the kingdom, they probably just came with the kingdom. Some of these guys um, uh, kind of rode Darius, probably rode Darius's coattails to power. You know, if you can't do it yourself, ride the coattails with someone who can. So that's, how they, they, that's probably how these guys got their job. Some of them came with the kingdom, and some of them are, are Darius's buddies from back, way back when. Um, but now, though, they're cheating the, the king. They're stealing from the people. They're probably cheating each other. They're not really acting very wise. 
they're being wise guys, but they're not acting very wise regarding the king. They're shortchanging him, trying to shortchange the people, trying to, to, to shortchange Daniel, but he's catching them. Now, Daniel, Daniel isn't on the take. Praise three times a day, hardworking. Um, the boss, the king here, notices Daniel. Um, uh, there at the end of verse 3, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Kind of like we read about, we read about Joseph back in, in Genesis. He does such a good job, going to put him in charge of everything. So now, instead of just being over his bunch of satraps and maybe meeting with the other administrators, he's going to be in charge of the whole bunch. So all these guys are on the take. They're, they're, they can see the writing on the wall that the, their, their end is, is coming. They've got to do something. Well, so they devise a plan. There, again, verse 5, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they have a big conference. Verse 9 here. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, should be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So these guys have gotten together with all their buddies that they can think of and hatched this plan. We're going to get Daniel killed. We're not just going to get him removed. We're not going to blackmail him. We're not going to cook his books and get him in jail for whatever reason. We're going we're gonna to get him killed. We're going to get thrown in the lion's den. So they tricked the king into trapping Daniel. Now, right away, there's some cracks in the wall of their wisdom. There's some, some holes, some holes in this plan that they're coming up with. Daniel is who they're after. Daniel is the king's favorite and set to become the right-hand man in the whole kingdom. Probably not the guy to pick on. And they think they're wise because if they get rid of Daniel, then maybe they can overtax the people and under-report to the king even more and get richer. And the king here, let's pick a little bit on Darius. He thinks he's wise. Maybe he thinks these guys have wisened up and are giving me the respect that's due. Because they say there at verse, the end of verse 6, Oh, King Darius, live forever. Um, the royal administrator's prefect, blah, 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 have, issued, have agreed that the king should issue a decree and edict, enforce the decree on anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king. Because you're so awesome. You're so cool. We could never get along without you, sir. These guys have taken brown nosing to a whole new level. And the king is buying it. And you really got to watch that in life. Because people will tell you what a wonderful job you're doing. And will we'll tell you, and you really need to kind of take that to heart. Now, as a minister, this shows up a lot. Because right, you'll stand at the back and you'll shake hands. Oh, Pastor, that's a wonderful sermon. Oh, well, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. What, what was so good about it? Um, well, you're wrapped up. Okay, <laughs> is there anything else? You know, you really got to kind of listen to what people are telling you. I, uh, 
I've worked with a few people in banking, and, and they've been very good at sales and other things, and, and then they get promoted. And they have to manage people, not sales. And that's a lot different. And sometimes all the praise and all the encouragement that they received in this one position means nothing in the other position. And I've seen some people really take a nosedive in their careers. The cracks, the obvious flaws in our wisdom kind of show up. Now, for these guys, the satraps, they should have recognized this. This is the king's favorite, probably not a guy we ought to go after. Maybe we should live a good life ourselves and not cook the books. But that never really occurs to them. But that happens to us, doesn't it? We all think we're wise. If you don't believe so, just ask somebody. They will probably tell you how wise they are. People who come to my bank, multiple overdraft charges will tell me how much wiser they are than others. And I say, well, of course you are, and I go on with life. I'm the same way. I shouldn't pick on other people. We fall into this trap of believing our own wisdom, just like the satraps, just like Darius, when we start tricking ourselves and lying to ourselves. Oh, yeah, I'm in the same shape I was in high school. We start believing in some of those little lies. We start believing some of those things. We flatter ourselves, flatter other people. We discount God completely. You know, we, we stop praying about things. And we discussed this just briefly in, uh, in our Sunday school class today in my prayer journal. And it's nothing too fancy. I don't go out and buy the purpose-driven prayer journal with all the leather covering. No, no. I go get the 50-cent spiral notebook. And I highlight stuff in there, yellow for worshiping God and orange for answered prayer. Um, the closer I am to God, and, 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 and I can tell because there's a lot more orange highlight for answered prayer. Because God will speak if I'll listen. And I can tell when I've gotten away from God, one, there'll be a lot of days between entries and there won't be near as much orange. We can cut God out if we're not careful. It's real easy to get just busy in life. Just like these satraps and just like Darius, there's so much going on. We've got to take care of the kingdom. We've got to get taxes in. We've got to move the armies around. We've got to do this, got to do that. We get so busy in life, it's easy to cut God out, and we need to bring him in. Because when we don't have God in, we come up with crazy plans. You get distracted by junk on your nose, and you almost die on 435 on your way to a job interview. We need to remember to include God. These guys are looking for ways to cheat, to avoid a moral code. You know, you shouldn't steal from your boss. You shouldn't steal from the guy who's writing your paycheck. That's bad. That's like insulting your waitress before she brings you food. That's not smart. We get in those paths the same way, where we're cutting out some moral things. In banking, we saw that just explode recently in Wells Fargo and a bunch of people lost their jobs for creating accounts and creating credit cards and mortgages and all kinds of crazy things. We see that over and over again in life. 2007, all the wisdom, all the brilliance of those millionaires at those big banks in New York City were so surprised at 2007 and 8 when the mortgage bubble burst. Really? You went to Harvard for business. Why did this surprise you? You know so much. You make millions of dollars a year. 
I don't know. All these things. When we start cutting God out of the process, when we start believing the flattery that we tell ourselves, when we start looking for ways around our moral codes, it's very easy to find some folly, to find some obvious flaws in our wisdom and start looking for, and start, it, you know, we don't even notice the potholes in the road. And if you came down 31st Street, there's some potholes in that road. You won't even see them coming. All right, so we get, we've laid this trap. So verse, uh, verse 10 here, we've laid the trap, now we're going to spring it. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. How horrid he was praying. Then he's, uh, verse 12, so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So they caught Daniel praying, how awful, of all the things to get caught doing. That's always a good reminder for all of us to take forward whatever day, whatever is going on in your life. If God came back right then, what would he catch you doing? Just a little, little extra didn't cost you a nickel more. Um, that's always a good question to ask. Um, verse 12 and 13 there, didn't you say the satraps are pushing the king for a decision and the king's got to stand by it. The law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be altered. So they've set this trap for Daniel. They've, they've used their wisdom. They're going to get rid of the one honest guy in the whole kingdom. And they leak it, or they, uh, they set the trap, and he, he, he falls into it. He kind of knows what's coming. Daniel, for all his wisdom, doesn't say a whole lot in this chapter. Anyway, well, let's move on here. Because uh, the satraps, their, their bad wisdom really starts to unravel. It's like going down 31st. They fell into a pothole and wondered what happened. So verse 14, I lost my spot. Oh, back up, verse 13, sorry, verse 13. Then they, just, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. Pardon me. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. So they've set the trap. We're going to get rid of the one honest king. They've sprung the trap. They've cornered the king. And now things start to kind of unravel. It doesn't look that way, right? Because Daniel's in the lion's den. It looks like they've won. But really, things ain't going their way. King, verse 14, King Darius is trying to rescue Daniel. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel. And made every effort until sundown to save him. So, if you have a plan in your life, if you are going a certain direction and things start to unravel... You really need to take a moment and pray about that. Where am I going? 
Things are starting to not go my way. Maybe I need to change directions. Verse 15, the satraps push again to have Daniel executed. The king's sympathetic. He's trying to save Daniel. Then verse 16 here is just wonderful. So the king gave, and that sounds odd to say, hang in there. The king gave the order, brought Daniel, threw him into the lion's den. Then the king appeals to Daniel's God. May the God whom you serve continually rescue you. I can't do anything else. This is in God's hands. It's very easy to fall into the the folly of our wisdom. And I I shared this a little bit in, in, in Sunday school. As a youth pastor, it's very easy to do so much that you leave no room for God. Now say you are in youth work and the Lord blesses you numerically. You have some kids coming and you got some high school kids and some junior high kids and maybe you've been at it a couple years. So you have to plan ahead. You can't just fly by the seat of your pants. So you know summer's coming, so you got to kind of build up momentum. So you back up to New Year's Eve. You have the big lock-in. You share with the kids your vision for the summer, and they get all excited about it. And then you share, hey, Valentine's Day is coming. So we're going to have the big potluck, and we're going to have everybody come. You're going to bust tables. That's going to be our big fundraiser. We'll pay for everything. Oh, that's wonderful. So you, you've already got December planned. You got uh, you maybe skip January. There's a lot going on there back to school anyway. You hit February. You do that. Spring breaks right around the corner. You have some of the little fundraiser or some little camp out or lock in or something. And then you get to summer. And then you've got junior high summer camp, senior high summer camp, junior high mission trip, senior high mission trip. And if you've got some college kids hanging out or anybody who's graduated, you got to do something with them. And then you've got your back to school bash. And then you got this that Halloween's coming. And you just leave program, 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 and you leave no room for God. And that should be the crack when things start to unravel in youth ministry. You really got to kind of watch that stuff. Church work is no different. It's very easy to plan conference after conference and, and concerts and working with kids and working with youth and working with old folks and working with young folks and working with newly married and, and new parents and, and, and hospital visits and, and, and shut-in visits and you didn't leave any room for God. And that's ministry. How much more of that is in our lives? When we get so busy because you got to go grocery shopping, you got to get the lawn mowed, and you got to get this done, you got to, uh, we got to feed the baby, and he's got to go down for a nap. So shh, everybody be quiet. Don't move. The baby's sleeping. And you got to get this done. You got to, you got to get some ironing done because you got to go to work tomorrow. Oh, crud, we didn't get everything done today. So you're already throwing stuff on tomorrow's schedule before you even start. We've got to leave room for God. But it's so easy to over-program our lives. It's so easy to take off down the road on your way to that job interview and reach over, and you don't even have some Kleenex. You've got to use, you use one of them rough napkins like, that, that Taco John's hands out. They're just like you know cardboard. That's hard to do anything with. Awful. So what happens? Well, let's look here. Because Daniel's in the lion's den. The king can't do nothing. The bad guys have won, even though their plan is bad. No. Verse 17 and on. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, 
Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So things went south for all their wise planning, for all their legal dairy-do, for all their cornering of the king, the, the, the supreme court of the land, things just happened. They missed the booger, they hit the 435, you know, exit, and they didn't make it. Daniel did. Daniel is saved, and Darius orders the satraps executed. Things are great. Are things always great? Do things always work out for us? No. So what do we do when I look at the, 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 the folly that we see? And we can look at, there's so many examples of, of, of things that have just gone south from our leadership in our churches, from our leadership in our country. We could go on and on. You know, that I enjoy reading about some of our leaders and, and, and reading biographies and, and everybody's just got some, everybody's got a goofy chapter in their life. We do as well. What do we do? What do we do? What lessons do we take out of this chapter? I've never been thrown into a lion's den. I'm, I got married, but it wasn't that bad. You know, I'm, everybody, <laughs> I love you, honey. Everybody goes through these things in life. How do we survive? How do we get through them? Well, now Daniel is really quiet during this chapter. Doesn't tell us a whole lot. But Darius Darius is the guy we're going to follow. So let's look here. Verse 16 is we look at what to do. We've, made, we've had the folly of our wisdom. How do we get out of that? Verse 16. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel through him in the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Darius calls out to God. Doesn't call out to his gods. Doesn't go to his temple and make sacrifices. Doesn't go do any of the things that he could be doing, he calls out to Daniel's God. And that's the first thing we need to be doing each and every day. Oh God, what on earth am I doing today? I got out of the bed and that's about as far as I've got the energy to go. I need you to get me through this. I need you to get me through today. I need you to plan out enough of today so I can have at least a start to tomorrow. I need you. Oh, God, you got to help me. One of the first steps in recovery of any addiction is to recognize 
You can't do it. You've got to have a higher power. Life is an addiction. We should all be at a meeting, and we kind of are here today. S-A, Sin Anonymous, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Welcome. My name is Matt. I'm a sinner. I've been saved by grace. Just like Darius, we need to call out to God, whether to ask for forgiveness, for help throughout the day, whatever your need might be, call out to God. Verse 18, and this is a tough one for Baptists, but hang in there. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating. And without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He fasts. He fasts from eating. He fasts from entertainment. And he fasts from sleep. Yeah, I can't pull that last one off. If I fast from sleep at some point in time, I will have my Bible. I won't make it. But maybe the others we ought to really investigate. Now, some of you who grew grew up without cell phones aren't as addicted to this little device as the rest of us. But for those of us who are, maybe we ought to. Fast, Facebook, just electronics in general. Turn off the TV, read a book. Maybe we ought to fast from food and really use that time to pray. And if you haven't fasted for a while, I encourage you to. Now, I know some of you can't. There's those of you who are diabetic. There are those of you who are I forgot the other one where you get angry. It's kind of like being diabetic, but it's not if you don't eat. Yeah, it, people know what it, I forgot. Anyway, but if you've got some kind of medical condition, you've got to eat something, that's fine. I work at a bank. My medical condition is my counting ability. And if I don't eat something, I'm going to mess up some numbers, and that's bad at a bank. But I limit what I take in when I fast. Usually it's just like a half a granola bar or a handful of trail mix, and I'm still hungry. And I use that hunger to remind me to pray to God and pray and pray and pray and ask Him for forgiveness, ask Him for help with, help with my marriage, help with my child, help with explaining to my child about his unique family because there's us and there's his other family, his, his family that we adopted him from. And that's kind of a lot to take in for some people. But maybe fasting will help me do that. And I don't know about you, but that's something else to kind of chew on there. All right, verse 19 and 20. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue? Do we call out hurriedly? To our spiritual friends. At the first light of dawn. He didn't wait till 8 o'clock. He didn't have some breakfast and break fast. He didn't check the morning news first. He didn't wait for the paper to come. He ran to Daniel. Are you still there? I have been worried all night. Are you there? Do we reach out to one another that way? I don't. I'm bad about that. I am hideous about that. I'm lucky if I tell Debbie what my plans are for today. We need to be that way. We need to, and you, what I'm talking about is just reaching out to somebody and, and act like we care. Write a note to somebody, send a text, call them, see how they're doing. Because we all know people that are lonely, that are struggling, that are just are, are hurting in their life. And all they might need is just a note saying, I was thanking you today. 
I was praying for you today. Nothing really fancy, nothing wild. You don't have to read Psalm and condense it all and, and share with them your awesome biblical knowledge. Just share, I was praying for you. I love you. I'm rooting for you. I know you're in recovery. I know you got this going on. I know you got that going on. Hang in there. Verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Now this is one time where we do look for, for, to Daniel for a little wisdom. The king puts them in the lion's den. They don't make it. Daniel is not sitting there gloating. Neener, neener, neener. When we go through life, there are times when we are found to be in the right. When we are looked at as people to be missed. Gosh, I wish that person was still here. Gosh, I wish this, I wish that. That is not the time to gloat. But rather the time to encourage. Just like Darius is doing. Is your God still there? Are we reaching out to people to encourage them? The world will tell you over and over again how wrong you are, how screwed up you are. They will joke about it. They will, we've made almost an industry of making fun of people. How often do we encourage? How often do we not go neener, neener, neener? How often do we reach out to people and love and encourage them? And we'll wrap up, as I wrap up here, verse 26 through 28. This huge decree going out through all the land to all the Medes, to all the Persians, the Babylonians, to all the people that hated the Jews, worship the God, the living God of Daniel. Verse 27, he rescues and he saves. Darius is sharing his own experience, his testimony. What a worship, what a worshipful event. How exciting is that? Now, granted, it had been a little stronger if Daniel had shared his. <laughs> That's a little stronger testimony. But Darius was there and sharing what he went through. He worships God. When I look at the folly of wisdom, it's so easy to put our plans in motion, so easy to know what we're doing. It's so easy to, to trust in government, to trust in industry, to trust in whatever until 2007 or 8 hits. And, and not even property is worth anything anymore. Till this happens, till that, till, to trust in the stock market, well, you know, to trust in this, to trust in that, to trust in our job until you got to look for a new one. And then you find out all your wisdom, all your years of making everything, that you're ready to go. And it, oh, oh, crud. You got something hanging on your nose. We're so smart. We need to step back from our wisdom and really look at what God wants us to do. To call out to God. To, to fast. To, to hurry to spiritual friends. Don't gloat. Worship God. Just the handful of things. Just the basics. Nothing too wild or weird. Just the basics. And don't we all need to, to get back to the basics sometime? As I wrap up with this story and our musicians get ready to come, I always think of uh, the 70s, because that's when I grew up. And who was the basketball team that was winning the NCAA tournament? Year after year after UCLA. Why? Come on, guys. Why were they winning? They were winning because John Wooten, the coach there, always had him get back to the basics. Back to the basics. That was his thing. 
and he won pretty much most. I think there was only one year, I think in 75, UCLA didn't win the men's uh, NCAA tournament. I cannot imagine what, the, what that kind of a contract, that kind of experience would be worth in today's dollars. I don't know what your spiritual life is like. I don't know what, what problems you're facing. But sometimes we just need to get back to the basics. Just like Darius did. And, and forget the folly of our own wisdom and seek after God. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today. We give praise and thanks to your name for the opportunity to gather together. And Father, how important that is that we take advantage of this time to love on one another, encourage one another. Oh, Father, I know that there are prayer requests. I can hear them right now. I heard them in Sunday school. I know my own. Father, I ask that you move in someone's life today because I know that they're hurting. I know that they're struggling. Some of it's little. Some of it's major. Some of it were praises. Some of those were prayer requests. And Father, we, we, we ask that you move everybody's heart today that they take those requests to you that they'd, they'd seek out your wisdom and forget our own, our own folly of our own wisdom, our own mistakes, our own, our own boogers, and chase after you. Father, thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen.